When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I refuse to furthermore talk about this team. Y'all already know what team I'm talking about. I don't have to repeat myself how important these games are at this point in the season. It doesn't matter who it's against. The Rays, the Yankees, the Tigers, the Rangers. It doesn't matter who it's against. At this point... On August 20th, 2021, you need to start winning series, ball games, and you have to make up some ground in not only division now, but in the wild card standings as well. I'm disgusted and I'm done with this team. I did a similar thing with the Celtics when they really hit rock bottom last uh, this past season. I refuse from here on out. I refuse. To talk about the Boston Red Sox. They are disgraceful, disgusting, and I hate to blame the players because it's not really their fault. And internally within that locker room, I don't know how they're feeling. I don't know if they're actually just really, really, really trying or if they checked out once upper management didn't give them help at the trade deadline. They didn't invest in the team at the trade deadline. So come then, did the players in the locker room Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, did they just check out for the season and be like, you're not going to invest in us? We're not going to invest in you. But if they're really, tr- like, if that's the case, then I totally agree with that because Bloom did them dirty by not bringing in, doesn't have to be Anthony Rizzo. He just happens to be the best example. Just help. Hansel Robles, Austin Davis, yuck. You bring in Kyle Schwarber and tell us that he's going to play first base and he hasn't played first base yet. Since his return from the IL, he has either been the DH or he hasn't played. And if you want to have J.D. Martinez and Kyle Schwarber in the lineup at the same time, and when they have been in the lineup at the same time, we've seen J.D. Martinez in the outfield, who at this point in his career, I don't want to say he's a liability, but he's no he's no Jackie Bradley Jr. He's no Tory Hunter out there, right? He's just... I guess he's almost a liability. I guess, I mean, he's older. He's like 32, 33 now. That one play, I guess it was the second game of the doubleheader, I think it was, against the Yankees. A little blue ball. He comes in. He kind of misses it. It was a tough play. You know, a speedier outfielder probably would have got it. But you tell us you're going to bring in Kyle Schwarber to play first base. And we are... Three weeks since acquiring him, and he hasn't played a game at first base. Now, I understand he was on the injured list. Fine. But you could have had him in, you know, double-A, triple-A rehabbing and have him down there for, you know, a series and a half or two down there and then come up here to be that first baseman. But no, he's been the DH or he hasn't been in the lineup. So essentially, you did nothing at the trade deadline. You did absolutely nothing. You didn't invest in this team. You didn't invest in your current ball club to players who overachieved and deserved an invested return 
from the upper management. So if they feel like they've been betrayed and they feel absolutely disgusted of how they were treated and they've checked out, I completely agree with that. And I don't blame them for not trying anymore. I mean, they just got swept by the Yankees in a in a two-day doubleheader, you know, three-game series, whatever. One of them was a doubleheader. These are games that they need to win. If they're not going to win them, then forget about it. But on the other hand, if they're actually trying to win and they're just simply not, two things. One, they still needed that help at the trade deadline because every other team in the playoff picture has improved. And two, they need to step the fuck up. So I'm just going to be done talking about the Red Sox until I don't. I honestly have no idea. I don't even want to check the standings. I don't want to check the schedule. I don't want to check stats until I feel like it. Until the Red Sox do something to show me that they're trying, that they care, or they get back into the playoff picture. And I'm not talking about like the second wild card. I'm talking about maybe like the first wild card with like a couple games in hand or get a little closer to the Rays. I don't know. But until then, I'm done with this team. And if you listened back during the Celtics season, I did the same thing when they were like, you know, a few games below 500. So that is it. And if anybody wants to reach out to me on social media at Murph's Card Town or want to reach out to me in the YouTube comments down below, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I'll happily talk Red Sox down there or on social media. I'll happily do it. You know, if you come into the shop that's opening on Thursday, August 26th at noon, and if you want to talk Red Sox there, fine. I would love to talk Red Sox with you. Baseball, whoever, whatever. Here on the podcast, no. Because with the Patriots now, you know, basically in full swing of things with, you know, the second preseason game in the books, I have a couple other headlines I want to talk about in today's episode. And over the course of the weekend, I'm sure I'm sure something will come up in Patriots, football, maybe, you know, Bruins or Celtics news. Maybe I'll, I'll have a segment talking about, like, uh, a random team in baseball and just kind of talk about them for 15, 20 minutes instead of talking about the Red Sox. So, with that little baby rant over, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying today's episode number 82 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I'm your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and I'm so happy you could join me for today's episode. But before we get any further into that episode hopefully you had a fantastic week we had some good weather predominantly here in the rhode island new england area yesterday absolutely downpoured holy smokes it was like for 10 minutes it was just and then it would stop and then and then it would stop it was just very odd but overall speaking it was a great it was a great few days weather wise obviously in terms of sports it could have been a lot better but we do have a lot of Patriots to discuss after their second preseason game where they walloped, absolutely walloped, the Philadelphia Eagles 35 to nothing. However, it is the Eagles. Are they expected to be good this year? No. However, on the other hand, it is also preseason, so it's a 35 nothing win against any team. Impressive. I feel like in the grand scheme of things, no. But there's a lot of things to take away from this and that I really want to dive into. And I will happily dive into that. In a little bit, but I do kind of want to bang out a couple smaller topics first, just so we can really spend a lot of time on the Patriots towards the back end of the episode. And the first one is going, the first topic we're going to talk about is a NHL topic that's not about the Boston Bruins. So this is something, and let me just get readjusted here. This is something I found on the internet last night, and this, and this article also came out Thursday night. So literally, like as soon as it happened, I was able to come across it. It was like Facebook. I believe I saw it, and it was the city of Glendale, which is a city in the state of Arizona. The Gila River Arena will cut ties with the Arizona Coyotes following the 21-22 NHL season. So Glendale, Arizona is where the Arizona Coyotes play their home games in the Gila, I hope I'm saying that right, Gila River Arena. And at the end of this coming season, the arena will cut ties with the Arizona Coyotes. This article is by Waji Albarudi. I probably spelled that, uh, said that wrong. 
but I read this article last night. It was actually a really good read, and I want to go over it in today's episode with you guys because I've done a lot of talking about relocation and expansion, and an article headlined by this sounds like a prime reason to relocate. However, I don't think the Arizona Coyotes will do such a thing, and I'm going to get more into it. So starting with the article, the city of Glendale, Arizona will not renew its operating agreement with the Arizona Coyotes past the 2021-2022 NHL season, effectively ending the team's 18-year run in the city and Gila River Arena. The announcement was made via Twitter on Thursday afternoon by the city of Glendale. Quote, with an increased focus on larger, more impactful events and uses of the city's owned arena, the city of Glendale has chosen to not renew the operating agreement for the Arizona Coyotes beyond the coming 21-22 season, the city's official Twitter account wrote. Now, before I go any further, I want to break that down, that quote. They want an increased focus on larger, more impactful events of the city's owned arena. So oftentimes teams will own their own stadium, arena, field, ballpark, whatever it may be, stadium. Arizona Coyotes are one team that don't. I don't know what percentage of teams, and not just the NHL or just across all four major sports, own or don't own their stadium. I know, for example, that the Bruins, they own the TD Garden. That's why seats in the arena were always yellow even when the Celtics were playing because the Celtics rent out the arena. I believe I, I read for like $1 a year, which is uh, astro- like insane, but it makes a lot of sense though, because I don't know, it's a good partnership to have. And like, you know, why would you charge, you know, like market price for something? It's just, you know, when they can just go out and get their own arena, make their own money while you charge them $1 a year. You know, fans come and go, and then you you make a percentage of the profits that way, I'm guessing. Anyways, I digress. With the city wanting more larger or focused larger, more impactful events, kind of kicking out one of the 32 national hockey teams for more impactful. What other impactful events do you expect? Now, I understand the Arizona Coyotes aren't good. They haven't been good in a long time. I don't think it's based off of performance. It's more based off of location, but they're moving from the Pacific Division to the Central Division. Zero impact. Uh, That decision wasn't based off of performance by the team's performance. It's just they're kind of the closest team to the Central Division with now the Seattle Kraken being the the newest team added to the division. So the team hasn't been good, and I don't know what their attendance rates are. I probably should have looked it up. I just I don't know really how much I care because it doesn't really impact me all that much I just think it's a good conversation to have so they're gonna have concerts uh you know monster truck derbies Uh, I know I know later in the article it mentions that the uh, Arizona Sun Devils the D1 school plays there sometimes sometimes right and I just don't know how many concerts you can have honestly all you have to do is host the Arizona Coyotes for 41 games a year in that 41 games, I mean, I don't know what the operating expenses are for the Gila River Arena, but you should still be able to make a profit coming out of each and every game. So I, I, I understand, you know, 41 games over the course of the end of the fall, the winter, and then early spring can take up some time. Being in Arizona where weather's not really a factor, like you don't have to worry about, you know, the snow or the cold or the rain. So basically you can have, you know, quote, summer-like events all year round, right? And I guess that's, you know, country concerts, you know, hip hop concerts, rap concerts, really rock and roll concerts. I guess you could have much more of those. And maybe, you know, the city of Glendale is just not a good hockey city. Kind of why this wouldn't be a surprising relocation, you know, component for the Arizona Coyotes. Although I don't think they will relocate from this decision. So it's just kind of interesting that the city values concerts and I guess expos and monster truck rallies more than hosting 41 hockey games. Uh, Continuing with the article, the city wrote that it has informed the Coyotes who they've operated a year-to-year agreement with for years of its plan to sever ties. In addition, 
Um, in an additional Twitter post, Glendale wrote it had the right to decline a renewal of the agreement every year as long as the decision is made prior to December 31st. Quote, we are thankful to the NHL and Arizona Coyotes for being a part of the Glendale community for the past 18 years. Glendale City Manager Kevin Phelps said in a statement, quote, the decision to not renew the operating agreement with the Coyotes was not made overnight or in a vacuum. We carefully weighed input from key stakeholders, our expert economists, our arena management firm, and our city council, end quote. The Coyotes haven't finished top three in their division since winning the Pacific in 2011-2012. They've reached the conference finals that year, but have, mad, have, ugh, but have made the playoffs only once since the 2019-2020 season, which was a expanded playoff due to COVID, how you know the season shut down, they restarted the season. So at like 24 teams made the playoffs that year, and I believe the Coyotes were one of the back-end teams that made it that year. Uh, last season, the Coyotes finished 24, 26, and 6 before firing coach Rick Toshette. Talk it. I don't know how to say his last name. Andre Toringi, a former head coach in the OHL, signed a three-year deal to replace Toshette Tockett on July 1st. The final two years of Toringi's deal will now be spent outside the city he signed on the dotted line to coach. Glendale's decision to move on from the Coyotes looks to be more financially motivated than competitively motivated, however. Maybe the operating expenses were too much for the Gila River Arena where they're losing money on those 41 home games that they're hosting for the Coyotes. So they figured if they can cut those out, maybe replace those 41 games with 20 concerts where the operating expense is probably less, then you can make more money on it. And speaking of money, this, you know, going back to the article now, the city hired Applied Economics, an economic consulting firm, to determine the spending habit differences between hockey game attendees and concert goers. According to USA Today, the firm's report found hockey game attendees mostly spend inside the arena, while concert goers spend more for retail and dining at Westgate, Glendale's entertainment district. Each Coyotes game drove $12,000 in sales and bed taxes to Westgate, according to the report, compared to $25,000 for concerts. Additionally, concert goers spend an average of $58 at Westgate, more than double the $28 hockey game attendees spend. Now, I'll just tell you this one time. If I can go to a hockey game and spend $28 flat on whatever I need, that's a dub. Because in Boston, going for to the Bruins game, $28 will probably get you two beers. Because at the Garden, a beer is... Last time I checked, like $12 maybe. And granted, it's like a 16-ounce can, so it's, you know, it's a taller boy than one of the regular 12-ounce cans. But $28 flat? Holy smokes. Now, when I was away in Miami for my bachelor party at Lone Depot, uh, Lone Depot Arena. Wait, is it Lone Depot Arena or Lone Depot Field? I should probably know this, right? Lone Depot. Lone Depot Park. Okay, that's where the Mar Marlins play. The... Like a hot dog was like $3, a beer was like $5, I think nachos was maybe like, you know, a few dollars around that. So it's like, wow, it's so much cheaper down here. And, you know, Florida is more known for cheaper things. But if you look at Fenway, you know, get a Fenway Frank, it's going to be like 5 maybe $6 at this point. You know, beers are probably $12. So it's like a huge uh, price difference compared to, you know, Fenway, the Garden. Uh, Gil, uh, Lone Depot Park, and I guess Gill Arena, uh, Giller, Gilla River Arena. Wow, that is a tongue twister right there. And then concert goers spend an additional $58. Now, I haven't been to a concert in quite a long time, but my fiance Kim, who you guys know and love, podcast and the YouTube channel favorite, she'll go to concerts. You know, obviously haven't been to one because of COVID, but beforehand, she would go, and oftentimes, you know, her and whoever she's going with, friends, friend, I don't know, will go get dinner, get drinks beforehand, obviously get some drinks inside the concert. And $58, I mean, that just seems like, you know, that's food for two people and maybe around, uh, probably like two rounds of drinks. And that's not even counting what's on the inside, and that's just for two people. 
So the average person spending $58, food, some drinks, I don't know, I guess the money is, is more there for concert goers than it is for the hockey games. Um, let's see. Still, Glendale hoped to keep its relationship with the Coyotes intact. Phelps reportedly contacted the team earlier this year to negotiate a longer lease, but the team declined. Thursday's news signal signals he has officially moved on. Interesting. Now, when I read this, I was very intrigued by it. And now that I'm talking to you guys here on the, the show, Phelps, who was the, what was his official title? Um, come on, where is it? Phelps, 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 Phelps. Kevin Phelps, uh, Glendale City Manager, reached out to the Arizona Coyotes to potentially work out a longer deal for the Gila River Arena compared to the, just their one-year renewal deals that they've been doing for years, the article says. But the team declined. Does the team... Now, this is where the whole expansion kind of comes into play. Does the team, the Arizona Coyotes, want to leave? I mean, they might, for all we know. I Before they were the Arizona Coyotes, they were known as the... Um, the Phoenix Coyotes when they used to play in Phoenix and then before that they were also the Winnipeg Jets the original Winnipeg Jets that came into the league in 1972 and they were there until 1996 well I guess in 72 they were part of the World Hockey Association that's where the Hartford Whalers were found ironically enough anyways and then in 96 the Winnipeg Jets leave they go to Phoenix to be the Phoenix Coyotes and then you know 2011 the uh, the Atlanta Thrashers become the new Winnipeg Jets that we now know of today in today's game. Um, in 2014, they changed the name from Phoenix to Arizona Coyotes to more encompass the state, which is kind of weird. I mean, you see the Marlins. They were the Florida Marlins, a statewide team, and now they're the Miami Marlins, kind of encompassing just the city. Could that be because there's the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays in Florida as well? who are the Tampa Bay Rays and not the Florida Rays, right? Where the Coyotes are the only team, the only hockey team in Arizona. So let's just encompass the whole state. Interesting. So could we see them move? Well, let me continue with the article before I give my thoughts about relocation. Quote, over the next year, the city will be announcing many new projects that will generate incredible new excitement for residents, visitors, and stakeholders, Phelps said. Quote, as amazing as the sports and entertainment district is today, the next several years will be even more transformative as this mon- momentum continues. My goodness. End quote. The most likely destination for the Coyotes is Tempe, Arizona. Tempe and the Coyotes, who are both owned by billionaire Alex Morello, have reportedly talked about a potential relocation proposal since July. And um, I don't care about the next one. The next article. Okay, so the article is done. So they can still be the Arizona Coyotes, right? And, you know, play their games in Tempe, Arizona. It doesn't matter whether it's Phoenix, whether it's Glendale, Flagstaff, Tempe, Arizona. Doesn't matter. Play in the Grand Canyon because they're the Arizona Coyotes. You look across the league, you know, Tampa Bay Rays, they play in St. Petersburg. The San Francisco 49ers, they play in Santa Clara, California, I believe, which is like two hours from San Francisco. So it's not out of the norm. For teams to be in a different spot than from where they're playing. Like the New York Jets and Giants, they're both New York, but they play in New Jersey. Oddly enough, right? So I guess this is not much of a big deal because their name is the Arizona Coyotes and not the Phoenix Coyotes still. If it was Phoenix, then maybe they would change their name. Who knows? Probably not because Phoenix being the capital has a much bigger, you know, bigger branding than, you know, Tempe, the Tempe Coyotes, right? So relocation, which I've alluded to numerous times, it seems like that the Coyotes originally wanted to be out of Glendale. Now, do they still want to be in Arizona? It certainly seems like it because of uh, the Coyotes and uh, the arena in Tempe are both owned by the same person, Alex Morello. So I feel like it was just a simple relocation, you know, across town, right? I mean, I know it's cities, but it's just a figure of speech. Do I really think that this is going to cause the team to completely get up and abandon Arizona? 
Well, if I was able to see the facts about their attendance and such, then maybe. But with the Seattle Kraken now the new 32nd team, and they're getting a lot of attention right now, it doesn't really feel like hockey, the NHL, is in a position to introduce a new market into their league. They just introduced Vegas. They just introduced Seattle. Before then, they inter- they reintroduced Winnipeg when the Thrashes moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg in 2011, I believe. So I guess all the recent potential locations have kind of been taken. And where would they even go? Because Vegas, a thriving new market, that's taken. Seattle, where you know hockey has a good history, like I said, that's taken. Could you go to Memphis, I guess? I don't know. You got the Nashville Predators right there. So, I mean, that might be a good little rivalry. Do you go back to Atlanta and give Atlanta a third hockey team? I, I don't know. I mean, they already lost the, the Calgary Flames. It was the Atlanta Flames, I believe, at the time. Then they moved to Calgary. Could the, uh, the Arizona Coyotes go back to uh, – I don't want to say go back because they never were there, but you know, reintroduce a team in Quebec and bring back the Nordiques? I guess really anything is possible, right? So I don't think there's going to be any relocation for the Arizona Coyotes – Due to their poor performance, I don't think they have the potential funds. But then again, on the other side of things, I could see this being an opportunity for them to leave Arizona, Phoenix, Glendale, Tempe, wherever. If the attendance is low, the market is not good for a hockey team. You know, being in a hot, hot state is a cold sport really a good thing. Oftentimes, no, but, you know, we've seen it work with, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning winning a couple. Uh, The Los Los Angeles Kings were good for a long period of time. So it definitely works. It would just really be interesting to see how the Coyotes approach this because this is a perfect opportunity for them to relocate if they're in, like, in the back of the mind they always wanted to. And with them not renewing their agreement at the Gila River Arena back in July, I believe it was, um, when, or when was it originally brought up and they declined it? Uh, earlier this year and to negotiate a longer lease, but the team declined. And then, you know, a potential relocation proposal to Tempe where the owner will own both the team and the arena in the same spot. It's a perfect opportunity for them to potentially relocate. I just don't think they'll take advantage of it because what other markets are out there for the team and, it would make a lot of sense for Alex Morello to have his team in the same arena that he owns, so he's not paying any leases or anything like that. Just my two cents on it, but I definitely want to keep an eye on this story closely because a lot of teams, you know, not just hockey, but just in any sport, will relocate because of attendance is bad, you know, the market isn't good, and they just want a fresh new start, new fans, and a you know, new potential city. Like, look at the Raiders. Um, Oakland, I don't, the fan base is awesome out there, but I guess the market just wasn't good enough. And they saw that the market in Las Vegas was better. Vegas is a booming city. They just brought in the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Now you get the Raiders money's going to be flowing in just naturally because of Las Vegas. It's a massive travel city, but also, you know, some research and some reports come out that it's a good at least a good enough market for those that actually live in the Vegas area. And it's not just tourists coming in and out. I think that's evident based off of the performance of the Vegas Golden Knights. So I definitely want to keep an eye on this and see where this, this story leads. The Arizona Coyotes won't be leaving Glendale, the Gila River Arena, until the end of this coming season. So, But in the meantime, though, they're going to have to try to figure out what and where they're going to go. So that's going to do it about Arizona Coyotes. I know I just spent about like 20 minutes or so talking about a team that probably no one cares about. But just since I talk about expansion and relocation quite often sometimes, I figure this would be a good story to kind of touch upon for kind of those reasons, but also how the Celtics, I don't want to say they're in a similar situation because they're absolutely not. But if the Bruins organization wasn't so generous and wasn't able to rent out the TD Garden for $1 a year, then what would the Bruins, uh, the Celtics situation be? They would have to build their own arena, find somewhere else to play. It just makes you think a little bit, right? So the second smaller piece that I guess, I guess it wasn't really smaller, the Coyotes 
segment, right? But <laughs> Rob Williams, literally like an hour before I started recording, and I'm glad I'm recording this a little bit later in the day so I was able to find this article, or at least this news article was able to drop, and that's Boston Celtics and Robert Williams III have agreed to a four-year, $54 million contract extension. Williams is coming off an encouraging third season in which he appeared in one more game than he had in his first two seasons combined. He cut down on his files and earned the starting center job at the deadline once they shipped Daniel Tice out, showcasing athleticism on both ends of the floor and underrating passing chops. I don't know why chops was the word that they used there. Um, he tied for six in blocks per game in the regular season, 1.8, despite playing fewer than 20 minutes a night, while also chipping in 8 points, 6.9 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. I'm a big fan of Rob Williams, the Time Lord. I talk about him a lot. I oftentimes refer to him as the Time Lord instead of Rob Williams, but I think he's a great young guy. I know we got him at a discounted price in the first round, I believe in the 2018 draft, because he was coming off of, I don't know if it was back surgery, but it was a back injury at least. And I think he's played very well. You know, Brad Stevens, when he was the coach, held him back a lot when he was healthy in his first two seasons. And he held him back sometimes this past year as well. So hopefully with this new extension, he's going to be let loose and he's going to put up monster numbers, maybe average a double-double with like, you know, two, three blocks even a game. I love this. I love this a lot. It's roughly 13 or so million dollars a year. I'll get the exact number right now. Is it 13.5? 54 divided by 4. 13.5 a year. That puts him in the um, top six. Is that six highest paid? Uh, come on. I, I, I know I saw it. Or maybe it was somewhere else. I think it was before I clicked on this article that I saw. It. And it like, puts him like sixth highest center paid. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of money. And on top of it, they have Jalen Brown's contract. They have Jason Tatum's contract. Now they have this. Uh, I guess Al Horford's contract. They can move on from him next year, so that doesn't really matter. But they also just re-signed Marcus Smart as well. And do, do I have Marcus Smart's numbers? I probably should find that contract. But it was like four years, 77 million dollars a year something like that it was like 19 million dollars a year so and a lot of people don't like that move and i don't know if i like it or don't like it a lot of people like and don't like marcus smart in the same breath me i like him i like him for his defensive prowess i think he has a lot of captaincy traits and i really think he's a good defensive leader i hate how he takes a lot of shots and thinks he's a superstar in this league when the Celtics big three last year supposed to be Brown Tatum and Kemba he thought his name should have been in that same breath but I believe Marcus Smart is part of that like second tier of guys on this team not defensively defensively he's one of the best players in the league although he has slipped off a little bit as of late past couple seasons but ultimately Marcus Smart is a great role player he's a defensive orientated guy he could start and just, you know, lock down a opposing team starter. But ideally, I'd like him to be more off the bench where he could, you know, maybe flourish a little bit more in that scoring role if he wants. Plus, be a great, tremendous defensive threat coming off the bench. And then obviously come fourth quarter, you play situational and then you have him down the stretch in the fourth quarter. That's my ideal role for him. Just very surprised that the Celtics extended him at this time. Because I know he was kind of tied into a lot of trade rumors. Bradley Beal even. I mean, Jalen Brown, Brad, uh, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, draft picks. Kind of starts the conversation for Bradley Beal. I know I've kind of done some mock trades where I don't include Jalen Brown. And on those mock trades, as long as the financial pieces work out, the trade will get accepted. But obviously, you got to maneuver pieces here and there to make it realistic. But now with Marcus Smart tied up for an additional four years after this year, it seems like he's not going to be going anywhere. So if you do want to get Bradley Beal, how are you going to get him? And if you want to wait till next offseason when you can just sign him, well, now your money is going to be tied up 13 and a half a year for Rob Williams, 19 a year for Marcus Smart, 25 for Jalen Brown, and then I think like 35 for Jason Tatum. Bradley Beal is going to command a lot of money on the market. Might he take a discount to come to Boston and play with Jason Tatum, who they're best friends? Maybe. But then at that point, you sign him for $30 million, quote-unquote discount. 
you're going to be close to the the salary cap at that point. So very intriguing mood move by Brad Stevens. He clearly likes him, and I think the Celtics front office really likes him as well. Very intrigued to see how future potential moves for the Celtics pan out with now the extension of both Rob Williams, the Time Lord, and Marcus Smart. But that's going to be my super quick Celtics segment. I know it's still kind of dry off-season time. Not much to talk about in regards to basketball or Celtics at all, with the exception of some, you know, team news that may pop up here and there. So I don't want to spend too much time about the Celtics because I spent so much time talking about the Arizona Coyotes of all teams. Let's finally talk New England Patriots. Preseason game number two in the books. 35 to nothing victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. 13 points in the first, six in the second. 13 in the third, and three in the fourth quarter. Overall, I think it was a great team game, offensively especially. And then it's hard to say that the defense didn't really play well when they don't give up a single point all game long. But you do have to keep in mind it's against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are not expected to be very good this year, although they do have some exciting young players. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith, the reigning Heisman, Jalen Ragor, hopefully to have a bounce-back season. So they do have a lot of good young players on their team. The offensive line is aging. The defense, we have no idea what it's going to look like this year. Nor do we care about the Philadelphia Eagles here on this podcast. But that doesn't mean we can you know, discredit what the Patriots were able to do. And let me get my iPad real quick so I can talk about... Sir, it's back here. Hold on. I wrote my notes about the game. In regards to the Patriots, so I have some notes to talk about and some reference points to go off of for today's podcast episode. And the first one, I talked so highly about him last game, and he was also a key point of mine going into game two, and that was Quinn Norton. While I was saying, let's see if we can keep the consistency up, fix that miss that he had in the first game, see if he can you know still make the field goals. And he goes one for two, 24 long. Mr. PAT shanks a couple kicks, which is a little worrisome for me because it shows me that he can't execute on the road. Or on the other hand, he might just simply struggle with consistency issues. Now, this kid was an undrafted free agent. Was he undrafted for a specific reason? Maybe. Maybe just a lot of teams didn't need a kicker. Going one for two, missing a PAT as well. A little concerning because... I know the Patriots had Adam Benetieri, then they get Steven Guskowski, who was incredible for a long period of time. Then he kind of starts to, you know, flail a little bit towards the end. Then you bring in Nick Folk, who was relatively good, had his issues here and there, but relatively good. And now you try to bring in Quinn Norton to, you know, be a young kicker for hopefully the next decade. And he doesn't, you know, pick up where he left off, you know, in week one. So the kicker position has become something of... uh, I don't want to say concern, but it's definitely been more interesting to me leaving the second game of the preseason. But I don't want to talk too much about kicker. Uh, Cam Newton. In my notes, it said Cam Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Cam Newton looked good in the pocket. He was moving up in the pocket to avoid sacks. He stayed in the pocket instead of scrambling. So instead of scrambling to extend plays, he stayed in the pocket to really deliver a good pass. Uh, let's see, threw a ball nicely, which was a pleasant surprise. He ended up going uh, was 8 of 9. He went 8 of 9 with 103 yards and one touchdown. Awesome. The consistency was really there. The touchdown was nice. He looked like he was in command. He was uh, just really knowing the offense. He looked much more comfortable from last season and even last week, for a matter of fact. However, on the other hand, Cam didn't look like he was controlling the line of scrimmage making adjustments like we've seen from Mac and other pocket quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen Mac, Mac Jones early on, make adjustments at the line, call out the mic, shift the line blocking over to the left, hand off to the right, do this, do that, kill, kill. We've seen that for 20 years from Tom Brady, right? But I didn't seem like Cam was doing much of that. He would call out the mic, the middle line block, middle linebacker. That was about it. I don't think he was, you know, making adjustments audible, shifting the line, doing this, doing that. So the smaller intangibles 
is something I want to see more of from Cam Newton and also some more consistency. I loved what I saw, 8 of 9, 103 yards and a touchdown, much better than last week's game where he goes 4 for 7 and 49 yards. So definitely a, a much better game for Cam Newton than last week. He also got reps with the starters and Mac was with the second unit. And that's not a good sign for us Mac Jones lovers. Cam Newton was explicitly with the fir- the the ones, and Mac Jones was explicitly with the twos. Now, could some wide receivers rotated in and out when Mac Jones was out there? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. I was kind of far from the TV when I was at the bar, so it's kind of hard to tell who ex- was really out there and who wasn't. But I know the offensive line was the second string. I know the running backs, you know, J.J. Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson, they were the second strings. Even Sony Michelle was out there with the twos, which is a little concerning how Mac Jones didn't get any playing time with the starters compared to how he did last week where he got some time. I think he got like a series with the starters. Mac Jones, since we're talking about him, he went 13 of 19 for 146 yards. And if that sounds familiar... Last week against the football team, he also went 13 of 19. However, he threw for almost 60 more yards. So a great improvement there from Mac Jones. We were really able to see the playbook open up, which was a major key for me going into this game is I want to see more more plays available to Mac Jones instead of just a limited number of plays, check downs, screen passes, you know, five out, five in routes. We were able to see him push the ball downfield. He made some really good throws over the middle. I really liked what I saw from Mac Jones. I know he didn't have the touchdown, and Cam Newton did, but 13 of 19, 146 yards, efficient, consistent, and he's really able to grasp this offense much better since he's able to throw for almost 60 more yards where he's throwing the ball the same. He's completing passes the same rate as he did last week. So a huge huge week for Mac Jones I believe tremendous week for Cam Newton as well in the same breath the quarterback battle I don't think has been determined yet by Bill Belichick I know Cam Newton has said that Belichick hasn't named a starter but from the look at things in this game it definitely seems like Cam Newton is the starting quarterback or at least will be the starting quarterback but Mac Jones is putting one hell of a fight and Cam Newton definitely made a name for himself to be that starting quarterback. Uh, stepping away from the quarterback position, let's talk about the defense for a second. The Patriots' defense looked okay, but they looked good. But could they have looked good because they were playing the Eagles? Maybe. Like, if they were playing, like, say, the Chiefs in this preseason game, they probably would have given up well more than zero points. And, you know, the Eagles had some drops, they, uh, you know, some bad throws, which really helped the Patriots' defense in efforts to getting a shutout. But, you know, if we just look at the Eagles passing, 10 of 17 for Flacco, uh, 5 for 10 from Nick Mullins. So not a big game for either quarterback, both of them throwing interceptions. So that, that's nice for the defense. Who was it? Harvey Lange off that tip ball, I remember that. And Adrian Colbert as well catching the other interception. I don't know. I know they put up zero points. The defense uh, got two takeaways. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's against the Eagles offense, which I'm not too strong and fond about this year. Although, you know, Miles Sanders, you know, he only got two carries for 13 yards. Whoop-de-doo. Devontae Smith, two of 19. Uh, Jalen Ringer, one for five. So they, were bar- they weren't even, you know, putting their young guys out there all too often. Do I really, like... Am I supposed to be impressed by a bunch of, you know, bum starters if they even make the team second stringers that aren't, you know, that core young group for the Eagles? It's hard to get excited about that for the defense. I mean, I'll take a 35 nothing victory and two interceptions any day of the week, absolutely. And when you give up 110 passing yards, I will absolutely take it. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I feel good and that I feel strong about this defense going into the season after a week two preseason victory, I want to see more. I want to see them get down to the goal line and get a stop at the goal line or just consistently have, uh, make a team go three and out or, you know, I guess go a seven and out where they get one first down and then they have to punt after that or, or six and out, I guess that would technically be. Whatever, whatever the case may be, right? 
I want to see more of that from the defense. I want to see more starters out there. I know Chase Winowich was his first preseason game. He was out there with the twos. He was getting a lot of playing time. But this defense, definitely going to uh, – Bill Belichick has a lot of difficult decisions to make with his defense, I believe. I feel like there's a lot of good young players on this team, a lot of good veterans on this team, a great mix of both, which is a luxurious problem to have. But when it comes time to make cuts and such, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult, which, like I said, is a luxurious problem to have. But on the other end of things, you really haven't seen a lot from you know certain players in the defense as a whole to be like, that guy is making the team for that reason, at least from my perspective. Um, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Starters for both teams were out of the game rather early or similar to last game, which doesn't resemble how I thought the game or how this game would pan out for the starters. I originally thought this game would serve as a week three in comparison to the old four-game preseason format where starters played deep into the third period. Now, could we see starters get a heavy workload third quarter and deeper next week? Sure. But I kind of thought that this game would serve that purpose where week one, you play a series or two, get your feet wet, see some young guys play. Week two, you get the starters to go all the way through, you know, halfway through the third quarter, two and a half, three quarters long. And then the fourth game, you maybe throw your starters out there for one or two series, and then it's just young guys the rest of the way, bubble, fringe players. Interesting to see that not happening for both teams, matter of fact. I mean, the Patriots pulled their starters out, like I said, relatively early, where Cam was with the ones, Mac Jones was with the twos, and then there was a clear shift in the defense compared to starters and the backup or the second stringers, I should say. Third game this year, I have no idea what to expect. Do we expect a more traditional, what we've seen in the first two so far? Starters get a series or two, maybe three this game. Or do the starters go through the third quarter where it's like, you know, full regular season game, good practice. And then they have, what, 10 days off before their, you know, game number one, which is kind of like a bye week. You know, bye and a half maybe. (laughs) I don't know. It will certainly be interesting to see how Bill Belichick dices it up for the Patriots when they do play the New York Giants next uh, this coming week, I should say. I believe it's 730 as well. Um, Sunday, August 29th at 6 o'clock. So there's going to be a little bit more time in between this game, which was yesterday, and next game. you got like eight days, nine days to prepare for the Giants and the final preseason game in East Rutherford, New Jersey at MetLife uh, Stadium or whatever the hell it's called over there. Patriots play the Giants. This is a preseason tradition, basically, that the Giants and the Patriots always play each other last game of the preseason I can't wait to see how that game turns out. In all honesty, I'm really interested to see the approach. Bill Belichick, is he going to give Mac Jones any time with the starters? Is it going to be starters all the way through the third quarter? Will starters get no playing time, period? Very, very interested. And now that I see that the game is on Sunday, August 29th, there will be a full two uh, two weeks, 14 days between this game and the first Regular season game against the Dolphins on September 12th. So this could be a prime opportunity to give the starters a lot of playing time where they'll have essentially a whole bye week to rest, take it easy before they have to start preparing for September 12th when the Dolphins come into town. A lot of things are still up in the air for the Patriots. You know, the running back battle, the wide receiver battle, the defensive line battle, quarterback battle even. So I really do believe that this third and final preseason game is going to hold a lot of weight for a lot of reasons, and I can't wait to dive more into that on Monday's episode when I give you a more of an outlook for the game against the Giants in preseason, uh, preseason game number three against the Giants. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. I really hope you enjoyed today's I don't know, it wasn't really wonky, but, you know, kind of starting out with the Red Sox and just kind of, you know, be like, I'm done talking about them, jumping into the Arizona Coyotes, like I said, of all teams. But I really thought that was an interesting article and something to really keep my eye on. Celtics uh, extending a couple players and obviously reacting to the second middle game of the preseason here now that we're in a three-game format instead of the old traditional four-game format. I'm really excited. I can't wait for Monday's episode where we talk more 
uh, Patriots preseason and then other headlines that pop up between now and then. But folks, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, that's going to do it for episode number 82 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. You can find the podcast Murph's Boston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, really anywhere you can find your other favorite podcast, which Murph's Boston Sports Talk should be your favorite by now. But if it's not, that's fine, I guess. But you can find me anywhere. You can find the show anywhere you find your podcast traditionally. Also, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk on YouTube as well. Just type in Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop and the channel will pop up. And every single podcast episode is on there along with vlogs, MLB uh, 21 gameplay, uh, quizzes, trivia. I do a bunch of stuff over the YouTube channel, so go give it a go give it a quick little peek, shall ya? And if you enjoy this video, please smash that like button. Comment down below any and all thoughts that you may have about today's episode, whether it's about the Coyotes, Red Sox, the Celtics, or the Patriots, and also why you're doing that. Please do consider hitting that big giant red subscribe button, as I would greatly appreciate that. If you haven't already subscribed, or if you haven't already considered subscribing, you can also reach me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Murph's Cartown is the new social media handle. Since I am now a sports card shop owner, I feel like it only makes so much more sense to have the have the username be the card shop, right, instead of the podcast. But Murph's Cartown Sports Shop is a giant umbrella, and Murph's Boston Sports Talk is comfortably under that umbrella. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, enjoying Hopefully you have a great, fantastic weekend. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. Uh, I guess I'll quickly check it so I don't hold you guys too much longer. Um, 88, 86 and partly cloudy tomorrow and 90% chance of rain 77 on Sunday. And then Monday, it's just going to be abysmal mess. So enjoy the summer while you can. I will catch you Monday for Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, episode 83. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. You know that I will always... See ya. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.